So, Chris, uh, our listeners are about to hear this conversation that I had with best-selling author, award-winning keynote speaker, and executive coach Craig Dowden. Could you could you tell what the emotions that I was experiencing during this discussion? Could you feel it? Oh, your professional crush, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the crush. <laughs> the crush. I mean... No, Craig it, was great, yeah. Just impressive, right? Oh, yeah. Very, very, uh, very practical, very common sense uh, concepts there. But it's just like, it's amazing how even some of the smartest people, ha when they're so involved in whatever, you know, their, their companies or businesses are doing, it gets so complex that they forget about those basics. They're like, oh, yeah, awareness. Yes. Awareness of myself and others. Like Exactly. And I, I will tell you that now, um, as, as people will experience that, this is not just a typical, quote, educational leader. This is somebody who focuses on leadership, often in, you know, the public and the private and nonprofit world, but not necessarily just in school systems. And that, and that learning across the aisle into um, other areas of leadership is so important. And um, this, I, I do have this crush. I, I want to be more like Craig Dowden. There's, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. He is fantastic. Maybe, maybe one of my new favorites here. Uh, I'm a fan. His podcast is stellar as is our books. And so, um, ladies, gentlemen, I just want you to enjoy this conversation. Learn from it. And by the way, this sounds awkward to say, but... You know, we're on this, our leader chat is on Apple Podcast, Spotify. If you are watching this video, you can also listen to it there. If you are a listener, listen to us and let us know. We would love for you to, of course, we're searching for great ratings, but give us a rating so we know you're listening. A comment's great too. We will read every one of them. So thank you very much for your time, everyone. Enjoy, Craig. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, welcome to Leader Chat. I am Jeff Rose, and today we have a treat. And I, I am aware that I say that every week. Whenever we bring you a Leader Chat, I'm always excited. Um, it is real. This enthusiasm I have is real because, you know, I have the ability to um, often read ahead of others. Um, because I told you I, I live more of my life on the balcony than the dance floor, unlike many of uh, our leaders in schools and in systems and in higher ed. And so I have this ability to really kind of look at content, but then I get to meet the individuals deriving the information as well as the motivation. And it just, it, 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 it wakes me up in the morning. So it's today I'm thrilled to be talking with Craig Dowden and you're going to learn about Craig. And let me tell you how I came across Craig. Um, I'm constantly searching for leadership texts and content that's also outside of the educational environment. And I don't, I don't want to offend educators, or maybe I strategically want to offend some of us by pushing us a little bit and reminding us that when we study the art of leadership, if we're truly students of the game of leadership, we should be looking sometimes beyond our specific subject area. And I'll, I'll have kind of this, you know, this cross-referencing referencing from, you know, one discipline to another. And so um, I, the, the title 
of Craig's book, and I'll mention this here in a second, kind of stood out to me, and I, I got it, I read it, highlighted uh, the heck out of it, and called him, emailed him, and uh, and I'm thrilled that he is he is going to be with us here in a second. So let me just tell you this about Craig. And this is a this is a condensed bio. Um, Craig Dowden is a best-selling author, award-winning keynote speaker, and an executive coach. For over 25 years, Craig has been fascinated by the links between the science and practice of leadership excellence so much that he pursued a PhD in psychology and business. His personal mission is to bridge the gap between what science knows and what leaders do. Craig is passionate about teaching and coaching. Previously, he was a professor at Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada, where he was twice nominated for the Capital Educators Award. Today, he serves an executive coach to leaders in the private and public and not-for-public uh, sectors while supporting EMBA and AMBA students at Richard Ivey School of Business. Craig has published two books, both of which have earned places in the bestseller lists, including The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Amazon. His first book, Do Good to Lead Well, which I now have, I'm not complete yet, um, The Science and Practice of Positive Leadership, it was released in 2019, and A Time to Lead, Mastering Yourself So You Can Master Your World. That title kind of slapped me in the face. I got it. I read it. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So in 2022, Craig also started the Do, excuse me, Do Good to Lead Well podcast, a weekly podcast. And it's now ranked in like the 0.05% um, in the world. It's doing extremely well. I'm binge listening. You definitely have to give that a listen. So we are going to be talking about a time to lead, and I will explain why you'll be able to hear why once we invite Craig. So without further ado, Craig, I'm, I'm thrilled that you joined us. Thank you so much. Well, thank you and for that incredibly kind introduction. I have to say right off the start, uh, we're, we're brothers in terms of highlighting. If you take any of the books behind me, I've got the highlighter everywhere. So love that. And then also, uh, appreciate you saying the tagline of bridging the gap between what science knows and what leaders do. And I asked Daniel Pink, one of your amazing guests, if I could take that because that was part of his book drive. So, uh, uh, so it's, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. So, you know, um, the, the one thing too, and, and you and I, we've had a chance to talk before. And so I'm, I'm, I've just been really, really looking forward to this time with you. So thank you so much. Um, but what I'm curious about maybe from the very beginning is um, as you've, as you've kind of delved into this content on leadership, um, your, your, your content stands out a little bit in that you're, you often talk about like this life of the leader. Um, as opposed to, I'm going to give you seven specific steps to drive results as a, you know, effective leader. Where you know you were a, you were a professor. What is it early on that kind of caught your attention that I want to focus on leadership? But it's almost about that that internal motivation. It's bringing yourself to the leadership. Maybe just go back to what was your original motivation to study what you've been studying. Thank you for starting there. Uh, and it, it has been, it has profoundly affected me and, and my journey. I was always fascinated by what makes people tick. So, and how two people in the same situation could have entirely different perspectives on things, even though it was the identical situation. 
And so that got me early on from high school, having conversations and wanting to understand people. And then when I got to university, I realized, well, now we have psychology and business. So industrial psychology. And for me, it was, well, people have personalities, organizations have personalities. And if I combine those together, I will never be bored. And fortunately, I was right. And every day I feel equally as privileged, as you said, Jeff, to be a part of these fascinating conversations. And what really excited me as well, and this was where I wanted to pursue my PhD in psychology and business because the research was so important to me, evidence-based practice. So how do you take this amazing science, social science, leadership science, organizational science, and then translate it into tangible practices? And so that's really been my life mission, my career mission. And I feel so fortunate to be able to have these kinds of conversations around leadership because it's the ultimate personal journey. And no matter what role we play in our organizations, we are all the leaders, we are all the CEOs of our own lives. And so then thinking about how can I take the helm of my own life and leadership journey as effectively as I can, how can I do that? and reflect on that. And so that's really been my why. Now, in reading your bio, and I didn't do it justice because I, I could have kept going um, you know, on. And there was a lot more to you and your accomplishments and so forth over time. But maybe you could fill in just a little bit of blanks for our listener. You were a professor and your work now, um, you're, you're still obviously involved in teaching and guiding and so forth. But you know, I, I mentioned that you're a speaker, executive coach, right? You're, you obviously are a writer, but how did, what was that transition like? So you're a professor and then you thought, you know, I'm going to go a little deeper with this particular thing and that's led to what you're doing now. Tell us about that journey just a tad. No, for sure. And I loved, I, I loved being part of the university. I loved the, that part of my career in academics and I love really digging deeply into ideas and unpacking them and turning them over in my mind and, and challenging things and looking at alternate perspectives. That was just, it was so incredibly intellectually stimulating. And what drove me into psychology and business was also, well, that practical application and that scientist practitioner model really spoke to me. And I had the opportunity when I was in graduate school where I was engaged in a consulting assignment and I was literally consulting with an organization in the United States and we had a rich discussion around, well, what was the research and how could you apply it? And when I left that meeting, I was going, wow, that is just awesome. I love this. It's bridging uh, these two worlds, if you will. And I loved both of them. And so then that really started me on my journey. And as I transition in doing more coaching and speaking work and and uh, partnering with organizations in the private and public sector, that emphasis on data and science and empiricism really spoke to my clients and they love that and they really were excited about figuring out, so how can we apply these ideas? Wow, this research, I never knew about that. So what does that mean to me in my organization or in my community organization? It's that has continued to be uh, my passion. 
So, Craig, before we jump into the book, because I, I want to go there, I have another question. Because as, as we kind of explore your insights on leadership, you mentioned consulting others. And I'm, you know, in my head, when you talk to others about what would you imagine a consultant is doing? And, you know, obviously in the private sector, often people are looking for consultants as relates to um, driving growth, uh, driving profits, et cetera. Um, and it seems as though I'm just having to guess that a lot of your consulting is around uh, leading and how to be. It's it's right. It's not just about kind of what to do, but almost how to be as a leader. If that makes any sense, I'm only guessing. Can you talk to us a little bit about kind of the the nature of your consulting others? Well, I I would actually say you nailed it. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, you, then you're welcome. I'll bring you with me. Uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, it, it, that is exactly the kind of work that I do. Um, is where because as you mentioned right at the outset that there's a lot of focus on well here do these six steps and what's critical is as a leader it's about well who do we need to be and so a lot of my work when i'm coaching high potential executives when i'm coaching ceos that's really the work that we're doing together and providing a safe space to explore what's most important to me and what are the things that I value? And what impact am I attempting to have in the world? Like, how do I want this to turn out? And so we're really focusing inward. And that's why, as in my work as a coach, I ask lots of questions to explore that and really have crystal clear focus on the inner game of leadership. I am very open with my clients that I'm not there to advise them in terms of the operations. I'm not an operations coach or mentor, if you will, to come in and say, well, this is the decision you need to make at this part of your organization or educational institution. What the work that we're going to be doing is really looking inward so that we can have the best impact outward. You know, you use the word um, inward. I I'll, let's get to the book because I, I, I do really appreciate, especially how you started where you talk about mindset, right? And you're obviously from an educator's perspective, an educator might say, oh, yeah, yeah, mindset. This is something that we focus on with students often. But what you're talking about is mindset specifically of the leader. So I really appreciate how the kind of tables are turned there. Like, let's talk about the mindset of the leader because I often – tell people now that I'm no longer, you know, kind of in the trenches as a leader or a superintendent principal myself, um, I, I can see that, you know, leaders have to lead up, right? They have the federal government, they have the politics of the state, their local community, school boards, parents, etc. And then, of course, they have the entire infrastructure. So, leading down, which is the system, which is all the people, people raising people, which is complex, and then the buildings and transportation and food service, etc. So to lead up and down effectively, I often remind people it has to start within. Yeah, you, you have to turn in focus on yourself and your own learning and so forth. So talk to us just kind of about how you started there as mindset for the leader. Well, and I, I love everything that you're saying, Jeff. And uh, I I like to open with, you know, great leadership starts with great self-leadership. Uh, how can we lead others if we can't lead ourselves most effectively? 
And also, what's one of the things you hear on an airplane, right? Put your own mask on before you go to assist other passengers. Another extension of the self-leadership idea and philosophy. And I started with mindset because it is foundational and it's fundamental. The way we look at the world, the assumptions we have, the beliefs we hold, that profoundly impacts our experience in terms of what I say, what I do, the choices that I see are possible. Do I see this conversation with you as an opportunity or as a threat? Are you looking to, you know, gotcha journalism, right? Ask a question where I'm uncomfortable. So really getting clear on our mindset and understanding how that impacts our reality. It plays a huge role that is fundamental because now when I'm interacting with my situations, when I'm interacting with my colleagues, when I'm interacting with external stakeholders, that comes with me. And we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are, to paraphrase uh, that famous quote. And so I think really getting clear on that is important because we can be so busy looking outside of ourselves we're missing an enormous opportunity. And one of the things, uh, as you mentioned the podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking with Doug Conant, the former CEO of Campbell's Soup, engineered one of the biggest turnarounds from engagement in the history of Gallup. And he was speaking to me and he said, I love this quote. He said, Craig, it's very difficult to lead with conviction if you have no idea what you stand for. And where does that come from? It comes from looking within. Now, brilliantly, I think, that you move from mindset to emotions. And when I say brilliantly, I think because sometimes the the emotional you know state, the emotional component of leadership is very easy to ignore, and that leaders sometimes are really expected to support the emotions of others, right? So as one who's a servant, I, I'm using air quotes for those that can't see, a servant leader they can very easily focus on other people and then take on this huge weight and burden on their shoulders, which, by the way, is, uh, uh, of course, you know, Im impressive and noble. But in the meantime, there is this emotional component of leadership that's really important, which you do not ignore. So, um, you know, potentially you were debating back and forth on exactly where to start, mindset and emotions. But can you just talk about how you, you know, you really delve into the emotional aspect of leadership? Well, and, and thank you for the ordering of the questions and also uh, reading the book and the way in which it was intended, because that was really the selection of chapters were purposeful. Uh, so I appreciate you acknowledging that because our mindset and emotions do go hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting as well is that, you know, the classic expression, it's not business, it's not personal, it's business. Emotions have no place in the boardroom or in our places of work. That's the secret sauce. Like, that's what makes human beings, that's the fuel, the hyperfuel behind our performance, behind our innovation, behind our engagement. And so they're vitally important. And in fact, there's lots of studies that show if we ignore our emotions, then that has profoundly negative impacts on us in terms of how we show up. It impacts us psychologically, emotionally, and physically. And so for me... Rather than once again, and a lot of times in coaching, people will try to understand others' emotions, they, we can be really blissfully unaware of our own emotions and what they mean and how they perk up. 
And so I wanted to turn the tables, put the mirror on ourselves and say, okay, so what are our emotions? How do we navigate our emotions? When we feel an emotion, how do we respond? What happens when we're in a negative state? What if I feel anger? Do I get curious around that? How do I, do I try to minimize that? Do I try to avoid that? All of those things are fascinating. And it really fits in my philosophy around life about being a scientist. You hear that a lot in terms of top thought leaders around the world talking about, well, we want to be data gatherers. We want to be more scientific. We want to look at our lives more like a detective and really delving into that. And emotions, they are data points. They're letting us know how things are going in our internal world. Are they going well or are they not going well? And positive and negative emotions really provide, they are key performance indicators. And then our job is to figure out <laughs> the meaning behind, uh, behind the emotion. Well, and and your point when you talk about the the science, I I, I do think that for you know f for years we have really uh, appreciated this concept of how do I uh, dissect the organization to know what the right thing to do is going forward, um, but you know you, what what you do so well, especially in this book, is. You're, you're asking leaders to not just look at the organization, but to look at themselves before they can serve the organization well, which is why I'm so kind of attracted to some of the things that you say. And I was thrilled to see you mention, knowing that you aren't just in the education space, talking about you know feedback and difficult conversations. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because in school systems, um, typically... Um, leaders have risen through the system, right? So they were once drawn to potentially, say, being a teacher. And they were a teacher because, of course, they have love and compassion for students and they want to impact the trajectory of lives that those people that they're serving. So that is like definitely there's this very strong why and this incredible, you know, intrinsic motivation to that work, which doesn't always draw the person who is um, motivated by giving tough, critical feedback to other adults. And, you know, I, I don't mean to offend us educators, everybody. I'm reminding that I am one. But sometimes we tend to shy away from giving that critical, important feedback. So you clearly see this beyond just the education space, which you know, made me um, breathe a sigh of relief. So talk to us about what you're seeing and how you're advising leaders as it relates to feedback and difficult conversations. Well, and what's really interesting, and there's lots of research around this, which I love, is that when you ask people, do you want to receive open and honest feedback? They will say, the vast majority of people say, yes, I would be open to receiving feedback. And then when you ask them, and I do this in workshops that I run with clients, I'll say, well, tell me about your colleagues. Do you think your colleagues around the table want to hear open and honest feedback? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I do, but they don't. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is amazing. Back to our own self-serving bias. Like, yes, I totally want to. And then everyone else doesn't. So that's a curious and we have a good chuckle. And then also a rich conversation around that. 
And I think as well, like feedback, the challenges we have with feedback is we want it. Now the delivery, right? Like how do we deliver feedback? That can be a critical part. And the, and the perspective that I take in the book is around, well, how do you receive feedback? Once again, it's kind of flipping this on its head because I'll say, and because most of the books and the training and other articles written are about, well, how do you deliver effective feedback? And I think for us, once again, a critical skill for us to develop is how do we receive feedback and mastering the art of receiving feedback well. And through that journey and through that process, now we can be better informed around how we are going to deliver feedback to other people. And feedback, uh, Ken Blanchard said, feedback is the breakfast of champions. And I, I love that. And then in a workshop I delivered, someone came up to me and said, well, if feedback's the breakfast of champions, why do so few people want to have that meal? <laughs> <You know? laughs> they skip it. They skip it. And so I think there is tremendous, there's tremendous power here. And it's a vitally important skill. Again, drawing on the field of positive psychology, one of the top positive psychologists, Barbara Fredrickson, I'll paraphrase the quote, none of us can be at our best without the rest of us. Well, and how do we achieve that ambitious and incredible goal? It's through providing feedback with each other. What's working well, what's not working well what we see as really setting the path to success, as well as, hey, these are opportunities for improvement. So how we have those feedback conversations are vitally important. And to me, one of the mission critical pieces, and this applies in feedback, this applies in difficult conversations, early intervention is key. As soon as you see something, provide that feedback. Raise your hand, draw your attention, and here's another vitally important part, is to focus on the behavior, not on the label of it. And that's where feedback can get into trouble, is as a quick example, saying to someone, you're completely unprofessional, you can probably imagine how that's going <laughs> right. to, what kind of feedback conversation that's going to be, versus, hey, when you're consistently late or when you're late for meetings, I feel disrespected and it puts additional pressures on my time. Now we're talking about an observable event as opposed to, well, I'm going to charge that you're unprofessional. So once again, setting the stage for those conversations, hugely important. Do you, so you mentioned how, you know, this, this, this concept that some people will say, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with feedback, feedback and maybe I'm even hungry for it. I, I have a thick skin. I can take it. Have you learned that people actually uh, don't have have as thick of a skin as that they think they do, or is it that um, they have a, they make assumptions as it relates to how somebody else will handle the feedback that they would like to give, and so therefore they shy away? Is it a little bit of both, or is it one versus the other? It it's a bit of both. It's it's kind of individual uh, dependent. Yet I think, and here's to me, this is also incredibly powerful. We can use other people as the reason for why we're not going to do something. So let's say I have a difficult conversation or a difficult topic. Let's say there's something I want. Maybe it's about this podcast. And mm -hmm. we have a discussion. Well, then how can I get out of that conversation? I can say, well, Jeff can't handle it. Yeah. That's too much for Jeff. 
or Jeff doesn't react well to feedback. I'm making a myriad of assumptions and I am now using you as the reason for not having that conversation, which, and then we hold people accountable. This is something I talk about all the time. Uh, we can hold people accountable for conversations we've never had with them. And that's unfair. We can choose now, if we choose not to have the conversation, the fact that things don't change, that's probably a reasonable outcome because we haven't done anything to short circuit the equation. Being mad with them about a conversation going poorly that's never happened, well, that's unfair. And so we really want to be thoughtful around this. And once again, I, I think it gets back to, well, I want feedback and no one else around me wants feedback. We can often assume we're better at receiving feedback than what we are. Because difficult conversations and receiving feedback, it's one of the lowest rated activities for people in terms of their interest level. Because <laughs> it's challenging. And it's hard to hear, well, when I'm not meeting a particular Merck. So we can have this assumption, which is why, to me, like all the different things we're talking about, Jeff, it's a muscle. So if we want to learn to get better at delivering feedback and receiving feedback, we've got to put ourselves in position to do that. As you talked about at school, you know, what do you do? You don't learn through, well, here's a concept and you practice it once. You continually practice it. You practice it in different ways. You practice it in different contexts. You elevate the intensity of practice and enhance the, the, the skill level required. You come back and evaluate. These are all things that no matter what areas of our lives, be it in school, be it in our communities, be it in our families, be it in our organizations as leaders of a publicly traded company, these are the skills, these are the opportunities we have. And that's what I love. These are, we're talking about leadership for sure. And they are vitally important leadership skills. And I would argue life skills in every aspect. So th that being the case, you know, some of the Somewhat of what I, I find impressive about this conversation, but also the book I read, is that the, the muscle, as you describe it, um, I would agree. I think that, however, that muscle um, of looking at their own emotions, what is, what is my current mindset, how do I receive, but how do I give feedback, difficult conversations, some of these things um, are actually really really hard and challenging to do. And in some ways, maybe there's not the motivation to work on that muscle, right? So do you see that, that some of the things that you talk about are vitally important, and yet maybe there isn't, um, I wouldn't say that, that people aren't inspired, but maybe they're not incentivized to focus on that muscle in their work. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I love that you're bringing this into the conversation because for many, what do we do? We fall back to what's familiar, right? And yeah. then we're exploring our emotions. Okay, that's messy. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, emotions by default are they don't make sense, right? They can not make sense. And then our job is to make sense of them. And here's a conversation I have routinely with people I work with. I'll say, you know, they'll be sharing a particular situation that's going on within themselves or in their team or with a client or what have you. 
And then they'll say, I'm feeling this way, and it totally doesn't make sense. Like, it's completely irrational. I can't believe how mad I am about this. And it's almost as if they want to ignore it or just stamp it out and avoid it. And, and I'll say, actually, the more irrational our emotion or response, if we can see it, we want to be more, not less curious. We want to be more non-judgmental than judgmental because as soon as we start to judge that emotion as soon as we want to push it away and there's lots of evidence around this the more you ignore emotions it's just like in our physical health see something say something early intervention is key is if you're noticing an emotion pay attention to it that's our early warning signals and so you're absolutely right it's counter intuitive it can be countercultural in terms of how business is, right? The serious world of business, and there's no place for that. And I think as well, there's ambiguity. And in fact, and this will, you know, if we want to paradigm bend here, it's almost like that's where the the growth happens. Growth doesn't happen when we're doing the same stuff we've done for 20 years. Growth happens when we have the courage to venture into uncomfortable territory. And now, and I see this all the time, when our emotions or our mindset, and I have this conversation frequently, easy for people, I'm sure if we talked about it, tell me about a time when your emotions got the best of you and really caused a lot of problems. You can, some people out there, daily. So we owe it to ourselves and the people we care about to spend time on that. You know, we, we know this about as as learners, as we've, you know, studied and learned over time that people um, learn at a heightened level when they are uncomfortable and safe, right? There's right. something about those two factors. Now, if they're, if they're uncomfortable, which we want to promote levels of discomfort, I call it a healthy state of disequilibrium. So... But it's a healthy state, so we want them to be uncomfortable. But if they're unsafe, right, then there's a flight or fight, you know, kind of reaction. So it's – but promoting that discomfort on tapping into things like mindset, emotions, feedback, um, and so forth are just vitally important to leadership Then sometimes I think some – whether it be boards or supervisors – are not necessarily focusing on, right? So what we tend to focus on is productivity. We want people to be very good managers. We also want them to be subject area experts, right? We want them to really know the craft for which they're leading. And we sometimes forget what I call this uh, third leg of the stool, which is this, you know, public intellectualism, the ability to focus on your own learning, to think ahead of the curve, to predict, to, uh, you know, it, it, it's a different leadership. It's almost like the soft skills in leadership, right? That sometimes we, it's very easy to shy away from. Do you see the same in the business community? For sure. And, and I think, and people don't want to be managed. They want to be led, right? Leadership inspires. Um, and so you manage things and lead people. Uh, and and that's and that's where the emotion comes into it. So how do we set the stage where people can unlock the fullest fullness of their potential? That is what excites people. That's what builds amazing organization, no matter where they are, be it in education, be it in healthcare, be it in IT, any organization, a sports organization, 
that's what is the secret sauce. You don't, how often do you hear about organizations where they manage so exceptionally well that they were able to just drive efficiency to a level that was, like that's not where you get that space, that conversation. And one point that you made is so vitally important and I wanna circle back to it, Jeff, because you talked about safety. What I would also add is that we want to make it safe for ourselves to explore with our emotions and safe with ourselves to explore mindset and these things. Because if we don't, if we're not creating safety for ourselves, how do we create safety for others? And I think what we're talking about at the at the end of the day, we are all on a human journey. And so if we try to dehumanize and we try to make things more management focused and not really delve into, so what makes us human? What are the beautiful gifts that make us who we are? We're missing a huge opportunity. As you're serving as an executive coach with you know a, a leader, what sorts of things might you tell them as it relates to them giving themselves the the space the so they're they're giving themselves a kind of the safe environment if they were to say okay craig i hear you how what do you tell them a couple of things time in your calendar okay I'm so i'm so glad you put this keep going <laughs> yeah like because it's interesting what do and and i have conversation around this like if i have another meeting scheduled in my calendar it's like yeah and someone said to me which was brilliant they're like if i don't take control of my calendar there are lots of people who will and so if we don't have time in our calendar set aside for reflection to think about these big ideas to delve into our discomfort uh, in a safe way, well, when are we going to have the time? Because there's always going to be a meeting or a crisis or something that requires our attention. So we have to prioritize it. And if we don't prioritize it, we're not going to be able to do it. And here's the other thing, which is fascinating, because some executives that I work with, they'll go, wow, I had this meeting with myself and I had no idea what to do, what to think about, what my homework was. Like, it just felt Really, it was a real challenge for me. And then one of the pieces of conversation that we have, it's like, that's great. Actually, that's good. There's discomfort. And again, they will share with me, oh, and I felt like I need to get back into my email and do those kinds of things. So once again, that's the doing, 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 not the being. And so there's lots of lessons in that. And for executives that sit with it, turn it into a habit, then they'll go, wow, okay, Here's what I'm thinking about. Why am I leading? How am I leading? What impact do I want to have? What conversations do I need to initiate? All of those things come out during that time. You know, you're, you're, you're mentioning these things. It's so much is connecting to, you know, what I call the kind of the, the current plight of the educational leader. It, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, doing versus being. Um, there are times where, I've said to individually to leaders or in groups or, you know, while speaking to larger groups that doing, just being busy and just running around and putting out fires doesn't mean you're leading, right? And it may feel like it because you were able to make it through Tuesday, but that's not necessarily leading. In fact, one thing I guess post-COVID is becoming harder and harder is that you know, it goes back to the 1970s when a tyranny of the urgent was first mentioned. And mm -hmm. 
That now is running the schedule of leaders as opposed to, you know, leaders taking control of their own schedule and focusing on themselves. I'm so glad you brought that up because I see this pressure to take care of things and problems mm -hmm. are coming fast and furiously and there's pressure to do that as opposed to this, I'm going to put my email away for a minute and I'm going to focus on my own learning as opposed to I don't have time to learn because how am I going to get these emails done? Right. So how do we teach leaders to flip that a little bit, that paradigm? Um, are, am I, this is, this can't be just an educational dilemma. No, this is, and I, this is fabulous timing. I literally was facilitating a mastermind, a CEO mastermind this morning, and someone described it as, which I love it, and I'll probably write them a royalty check after this. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they said, you know, the inputs uh, exceed the receptors right now. And it, it, that is a beautiful articulation of look at all the things that are coming across our plates. And so that can really create a sense of overwhelm. And as you talked about there, I, I love that, that tyranny of, of, of the urgent and just thinking about how reactive we are to things and just fighting fires. And that can feel like we're accomplishing a lot. And once again, that sense of busyness in, in a lot of ways it, we almost use it as a as a, a as a, a call of pride, like oh you know how are you? Well, I'm so busy. You wouldn't believe him. Well, I'm super busy, and it's this contest versus going and saying okay, so what are we busy about? The famous question, right? And so taking the time to think about so where am I choosing to invest my time? Because where I'm investing my time is the ultimate expression of my, my priorities, even if that feels really uncomfortable to, to wrestle with. And so now what we wanna do is say, so what is most important to us? What are the impacts that we're looking to have? And now to what extent are the behaviors that I'm exhibiting aligning to the leader that I profess to be? And if there's a disconnect, now we're creating a lot of challenges for the people we lead as well as ourselves. I. I have to be honest, um, going to Daniel Pink, right? I, the power of regret. One thing I can be honest about that I regret doing throughout uh, my career is that I would often wear the hours of work like this badge of honor. I would mm -hmm. want people to know, and I'm just being blunt, I would want people to know what time I got up and then I was there first. And I'd want them to know that I'm working nights that I'm doing work on weekends, because I felt like that was me demonstrating leadership. And now I look back and I'm embarrassed, right? Of course that didn't demonstrate leadership. And if anything, it's annoyed people that you know I was doing that and that modeling that that's yes. what leadership is. And that's not what it is, but I felt like it was at the time. I felt like I had to prove to people I'm so willing to give you every hour I've got. And, you know, at the sacrifice of other things. And I think now, maybe I'm just older and wiser or I'm more exhausted. You know, it's, but, but, but I think we do that. I think I did that. Mm -hmm. You probably see the same. Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right. Is that, and then we have this because it's modeled to us, 
right? We see it in the models and, and the, and these are the pillars of leadership and, and this is what it takes working 24 seven. So this is something to be proud about. And then also ourselves, when we sit in ambiguity or take the time for ourselves, it's almost like selfish or it's a bad thing that we're doing. And what I and appreciate your vulnerability in sharing, Jeff, and 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 we all have that journey. And then what experience provides us is the opportunity to gain insight. Yet, how do we gain that insight? We have to take the time to reflect. And if we don't do that, you can have 30 years of experience. And I love how it was described uh, to me as like, you know, you could have one year of experience repeated 30 times. Or you could have 30 years of tremendous growth. And so which one do you want to have? And so if we don't take the time to reflect on what's happening, to take those lessons and truly integrate them in terms of who we are and how we show up in the world and update our operating system to reflect that and continue to uh, engage in things that are serving us well and having the impact that we want to have, well, we aren't going to be able to maximize our potential. We are going to be limited in our capacity to impact the people we care about most at the highest level. So taking the time to do this is the ultimate form of self-care and is the ultimate form of other care. I, I knew that I was going to have a, a hard time in this conversation and that I would, I would want to just keep having it. Uh, I, I, from the damage I did to your book via the highlighter and the bending of the pages to the last time we chatted, kind of preparing for this conversation. Um, so I, I, I had to be careful with the amount of time I take from you. So thank you so far. I will say that one thing we ask our, our, our guests and the leaders that we chat with is, um, if we were to imagine that we were around a table because, um, this is the only really content we push out to our members. Most of our processes and protocols are when our members have problems, we create these roundtable discussions so that they're getting pragmatic support in a very safe environment. That's why we call it the leadership circle. But this is the one thing that, that we do that's content driven. So if you were to imagine we're around a table, there are superintendents and principals, educational leaders through higher ed, whatever that may be, and you were to say, um, so let me leave you with this. This would be my kind of final words of wisdom for you, kind of in an elevator speech fashion. What would you want to leave them with as your kind of final pieces of advice? Well, I love this question, and I'm very excited to answer it because it's an idea that I've really dug into. And it's the idea of being a chief awareness officer. I think if we look at our lives personally and professionally, the skill that we want to maximize and grow to the fullest extent is our awareness, awareness of self and awareness of others. Because the more we're aware of ourselves and how we come across to other people, the better equipped we are to have the impact in the world that we want. And the better we're aware of those around us, what they value, what their values are, and what's important to them, the better we are able to serve as leaders. So focusing on awareness in a world of distraction and a world of hyperactivity, taking invaluable moments of time to reflect on the conversations and relationships 
and yourself, relationship with others and relationship with self, that is something to put at the very top of the priority list. Craig, this may sound awkward. Um, I have this uh, kind of professional crush on the things that you talk about. So I, I, I just find myself leaning in and listening. And of, of course, I, I told you how much I appreciated the book and I'll, I'll finish the other one, which was your first um, soon. Thank you so much for this. And I, I think that our members, as well as our listeners, are just going to really, really be able to receive this well, because sometimes educators think that, oh, I'm alone in this. I'm, I'm isolated. And I feel as though um, I'm having a hard time staying afloat, let alone looking at the horizon as a visionary. And so just to hear that, no, it's not just you. And there's some pragmatic things that you can do for yourself as a leader to make you more effective in serving others is exactly what educators need to hear. And you describe it so eloquently. Thank you so much for everything. Well, thank you. And I love your passion for positive leadership. I love the spirit behind this podcast and the leadership circle because and to me, facilitating CEO masterminds myself, what's the thing I continually hear about? Being able to learn that other people are going through similar challenges. They don't have it all together. They're trying to sort through it the best way that they can. These are invaluable sources of support. So I love that you provide that for people because now through that community of support in a safe space, we can really wrestle with the questions that matter most and come out empowered to answer them in our way and in our journey. So thank you. This has been a lot of fun and very inspiring and thought-provoking as I knew it would be. So thank you, Jeff. The same. And our paths will cross again soon. Thank you so much for your time, Craig. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm, I am serious. I'm um, I'm, I'm literally, I think, perspiring. I'm so excited. I want to talk to Craig for a long period of time. I can't wait for you to hear this. If you're a member, to be able to watch this and share it with your staffs and your teams. I think this hits home relative to what is such a challenging environment for what you're leading. So let me just say, ladies, gentlemen, leaders, educators, thank you for your noble work. Be well.